Located just north of Alton is the community of Godfrey, which is named in honor of Benjamin Godfrey, a former sea captain, real estate developer, railroad builder, banker, and integral part of the Underground Railroad, among other things. There are a lot of towns that are named after people in Illinois, and most don't really deserve it. Benjamin Godfrey does. Captain Godfrey's country estate was located in what's now the town named after him, and much of his land was devoted to things other than farming during his lifetime. The most important, he always believed, was the women's college that was located there. In its early years, it was called the Monticello Female Seminary, but today it's Lewis and Clark Community College, and it's become known not only for the quality education that it offers, it's also known for its resident ghost. And this is her story. Welcome to a special On the Side podcast from American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to bring you the history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of our hometown, Alton, Illinois. Yeah, we're back home again. This is episode three of an offshoot of the regular podcast going back to our very beginning with updates and a lot of new stories from season one of the show, which delved into the mystery and history of Alton. So why return to season one? Well, for one thing, the sound was terrible back then, and we also ended up leaving a lot of things out, and that was my fault. So last year, after doing a lot of additional research, I published a new edition of my book, Haunted Alton, and we wanted to bring some of that material here so that Cody and I could revisit some old stories, offer some updates, and bring you some brand new tales from one of the most haunted small towns in America, Alton, Illinois. Monticello Seminary was founded in 1838 by Captain Benjamin Godfrey, the well-liked, prosperous, and secretly adventurous man I introduced you to earlier in the episode. If it seems strange to you that a former sea captain would organize a college for women, especially at a time when it was almost unheard of for women to attend school at all, well, you're not alone. It was strange. Stranger still, it was in the middle of nowhere outside of Alton, Illinois, which, while it was a fairly important town at the time, was not exactly a beacon of higher learning. It was an odd choice, but Benjamin Godfrey was kind of an odd man. Even though the uneducated Cape Cod shipmaster who'd sailed the seas but had never seen the inside of a school before coming to Alton didn't think starting a college for women was unusual at all. He had nine children, and one morning he overheard one of his daughters imitating her mother. He later said that he thought about this and decided that if you educate a man, you educate an individual. But if you educate a woman, you educate an entire family. And at that moment, the seed for Monticello Seminary was planted. Benjamin was born in Chatham, Massachusetts in 1794. As a boy, he did what other local boys did, and he went to sea. He gained a practical education in books and writing aboard those vessels, a knowledge of navigation, and 
it turned out quite a lot about business. He also had a taste for adventure and danger that he'd never outgrow. After a merchant ship under his command was shipwrecked, Benjamin was stranded in Mexico. Taking advantage of the situation, he opened a mercantile business in Matamoros. He became wealthy, accumulating more than $200,000 in gold, only to be attacked and robbed while transporting it to America by mule. Without a penny, he made it to New Orleans and traveled up the Mississippi to Alton, where he became wealthy all over again. He amassed his considerable fortune, excelling at businesses all around the Alton area, as well as along the Mississippi, where he invested in steamboats. He became one of the heads of the newly chartered Alton State Bank and formed a partnership and friendship with a man named Winthrop S. Gilman. The company became well-known up and down the river. It was in the Godfrey Gilman & Company warehouse where Elijah P. Lovejoy hid his printing press and was murdered in 1837. And this was not Benjamin's only brush with danger in the abolitionist movement in Alton. He was also an ardent supporter of the Illinois Anti-Slavery League, hosted many of their meetings, and provided support for Elijah Lovejoy, and personally led escaped slaves to safety when they arrived in Alton from across the river. He secretly continued as a conductor on the Underground Railroad until his death in 1862, helping countless people gain their freedom. Benjamin also continued making money, as well as helping to develop the Alton region. He became a railroad promoter and personally financed the first rail line between Alton and Springfield. During construction, he lived in a railway coach and followed the work as it progressed. Once the railroad was completed, though, he returned to his estate north of Alton and devoted himself to the Monticello Female Seminary. He contributed the $110,000 needed for the founding of the college, which by the way, is equal to 3.6 million today, and remained a trustee of the school until his death. As the first principal of Monticello, Benjamin chose Theron Baldwin, a Yale-educated minister from Massachusetts. Baldwin had been instrumental in founding other Midwestern colleges, including Illinois College in Jacksonville. He seemed the perfect choice to get what was called the first female seminary in the West off the ground. In 1838, the only academies for young women that existed were finishing schools that emphasized music, needlework, and other womanly arts. The goals for those schools was ensuring the students found a good husband, but that wasn't the goal at Monticello. Here, the ladies were given an actual higher education. They studied challenging courses in mathematics, English, history, religion, philosophy, foreign languages, and music the same things that young men were learning at colleges at the time. Yes, the faculty still hoped the girls would find a good husband, but it was more important that they learned something while they were looking for him. For 50 years, young women thrived at the seminary, right up until a terrible fire in 1888 threatened to permanently close the school. But that closure never happened. The students and the woman in charge simply didn't allow it. Two weeks after the smoke had cleared, rebuilding was already underway. The camaraderie between the students and the staff created by the fire intensified the school spirit and the feeling of family at Monticello. And this feeling would last until the school finally did close in 1971. After Theron Baldwin retired from his role as principal, he was replaced by Philomena Forbes, who remained in charge through the turbulent years of the Civil War. The school remained open during that time, but the campus became bitterly divided. 
since girls from both northern and southern families attended the school. That rift wouldn't be mended until 1867, when Harriet Haskell arrived as the new principal of Monticello. She would become the symbol of the college as she devoted the next 40 years of her life to make it one of the most respected female institutions in the country. Harriet was born in Waldeboro, Maine in 1835. Always regarded as a tomboy, she easily made friends of both the boys and the girls in the neighborhood. She had a fertile imagination and a thirst for knowledge, attending Castleton Academy and Mount Holyoke before becoming the first female headmaster of the Franklin School in Boston. She was then asked to return to her alma mater of Castleton after she turned down the position of principal at Monticello Seminary. While visiting family in Alton, she was invited to tour the college, but she didn't like the place. When she was offered the job, she initially refused but the board ignored her refusal and elected her to the job anyway. After a little pressure from her family in Alton, she finally accepted, seeing the seminary as a challenge she could conquer by her sheer force of will. Well, the students at Monticello fell in love with Miss Haskell right away. She was kind, smart, and had a sharp sense of humor. She was also an early advocate of sports for women, believing that if they were well off physically, they would be fit emotionally and morally. Everything she did for the girls and their beloved school just endeared her more to them. The Great Fire of 1888, which was mentioned earlier, became one of the most important events in the school's history. In lesser hands, Monticello would have closed. For Harriet Haskell, though, it was just a minor setback. Even so, it was nearly a tragedy. The fire occurred on a quiet fall evening on November 4th. If one had been standing on the campus looking at the five-story stone building that night, it would seem nothing was amiss. Its tall tower was dark, the windows were dimly lit, and the sidewalks hidden beneath the trees were silent and empty. But a fire which started in the laundry room ovens was already burning. The servants were awakened first, and they sounded the alarm throughout the building. As the flames swept through the classrooms, library, and lecture halls, the 130 young women who'd been asleep in their beds just moments before began adding to the chaos. Smoke began seeping under doors and screams filled the corridor. Many girls panicked while others tried to keep their friends as calm as they possibly could. Another alarm sounded and people from all over the community in wagons and carriages and on foot in all states of clothing began to arrive to help put out the fire. As word spread, residents from North Alton also began arriving to help. Meanwhile, Harriet Haskell stood calmly in the doorway of the dormitory, carefully inspecting each of the girls as they rushed from the building. She ensured that each was adequately dressed and in clothing that suited a Monticello lady. A few even returned voluntarily to their rooms for proper attire, aware of Miss Haskell's standards. What the girls were wearing wasn't actually important to Harriet. She simply knew that by giving the girls something to focus on, they would stay calm and safely exit the building. Well, some of the students grabbed their bedroom furnishings and their heavy trunks and managed to drag them down the stairs. Volunteers who arrived and saw the building was likely a total loss began running inside to try and help the girls to salvage their clothing and personal items. Braving the fire, they ran from room to room, wrapping the girls' belongings in bedsheets and tossing them from open windows. Eventually, even these efforts had to stop when the roof collapsed. Firefighters had climbed onto the building to vent the fire, but the burning wood gave away, almost killing them. Fortunately, Harriet's room was near the front doors, 
So the men were able to slide her collection of rare books down boards propped up to the windows. They even managed to save her piano, which was taken to the Godfrey Congregational Church for safekeeping. Despite the roof collapse and the courageous efforts to save the girl's belongings, no one was injured in the blaze. The fire did wipe out the entire building, though, little of which was covered by insurance. After the fire, all that remained of the first female seminary in the West were smoldering embers and a hollowed-out pile of blackened bricks that was once the impressive tower. The girls stood in the early morning light, staring at what was left of the school they loved. Tears streamed down their soot-covered faces as they wondered what would happen next. Later that morning, their attention was drawn by the sound of a large wagon as it creaked onto campus. It was loaded with empty trunks, and the girls were all instructed to choose one and place all their rescued possessions inside. The trunks would be shipped and waiting for them when they arrived back home. One trunk, which belonged to a young woman who followed Miss Haskell's instructions to the letter, contained only a single rubber boot. When afternoon came, the girls began being taken to the train station to make their trip home. As they departed, they looked back to see Harriet standing on the lawn, staring at the ruins of the school. Very few of them honestly believed they would ever see the seminary or Miss Haskell again. But anyone who thought the school would close badly underestimated Harriet Haskell. She immediately began a spectacular fundraising campaign for the college, collecting thousands of dollars and spearheading the construction of a new building called Caldwell Hall, designed by the architect of Union Station in St. Louis, Theodore Link. In a short time, the college was up and running again, and the girls began returning to finish their educations. By 1902, Harriet announced that even after the cost overruns from rebuilding, the college was officially out of debt. She remained devoted to the college in the years that followed. Harriet never married, but she did raise two nieces at her home on campus called the Evergreens. She may have never given birth to daughters, but most of the girls at Monticello left school feeling that Miss Haskell had loved them as much as she would have her own children. She was not only a principal and educator, but a dear friend and beloved family member to the many hundreds of women who passed through the gates of Monticello Seminary. Her time at the college is considered the golden era of the school, both financially and educationally speaking. She was a genius at securing donations for the school, and she was respected for this by parents and board members alike. And of course, she was adored by the students. When she passed away, the Haskell girls, as they called themselves, traveled from all over the country to attend her funeral. Those who couldn't attend in person sent flowers and cards, so many that a separate truck was needed to transport them all to the Alton City Cemetery, where she was laid to rest in her family's plot. Monticello Seminary continued on without Harriet, but to many of the girls, things would never be the same. The college survived for decades, but eventually time and co-education forced the college to change. The final class graduated from Monticello in 1971, and the campus became the new home of Lewis and Clark Community College. In addition to dozens of new buildings, most of the old ones have been updated and renovated. What used to be the dorm rooms for the Haskell girls are now offices, and the school's old chapel is now a library. While many things have changed at what used to be Harriet Haskell's college, others have remained the same namely the presence of Miss Haskell herself. 
Her days at Monticello may have ended physically in 1907, but some people insist that she's still present, at least in spirit. Her tenure at the college lasted for 40 years, but many believe it's never ended. In 1971, on the very day that Monticello Seminary became Lewis and Clark College, one of the oldest and largest trees on campus crashed to the ground. There was no storm, high winds, or active nature that day. It was, many believed, Harriet Haskell, upset over what had become of her beloved Monticello, who knocked down the tree. Others were, of course, not convinced, despite the many reported encounters with Harriet's spirit on campus. But whether you're a believer, a skeptic, or somewhere in the middle, it's impossible to deny that the ghost of Harriet Haskell is a huge part of the fabric of the college. Believers are said to speak in quiet voices about the ghost, and the non-believers, well, they refuse to acknowledge the stories at all. The administration has no official policy about the haunting, but admits that the legend is as much part of the school as the books and buildings. And they've been around longer than most of the buildings that are located on campus today. You see, the stories of Harriet's ghost began soon after her death in 1907. At the time, Monticello girls were scaring the new students with tales of Miss Haskell's ghost, wandering up and down the hallways at night. Others told of seeing her face reflecting back at them from mirrors and of seeing her apparition in darkened rooms. Now, these stories seem to have been little more than good-natured hazing of new arrivals at the college, but there may have been more to them than that. You see, in addition to spooky late-night stories were events that were not so easy to explain away. In the early 1900s, accounts circulated that the lights at Evergreens, Harriet's former home, turned themselves on and off at night. A fountain located in front of the house would suddenly start spurting water, and the sound of a woman singing was sometimes reported from coming from inside. And it should be noted that the house was empty at the time. There was also the steam-operated elevator in the old administration building that would suddenly start up and run by itself. Security guards would discover that no one was in it, even after it had been mysteriously traveling between floors all night long. As time passed, more and more people began reporting odd occurrences and claiming to see a figure who looked eerily like Miss Haskell. There were also reports of lights turning on in empty rooms and water running in the bathrooms for no reason. One of the most haunted spots in the college, then and now, was and is the library. It was once the Monticello Chapel and was said to be Harriet's favorite place on campus. In the early days, girls were required to attend a service here every day. But today it's filled with books and it's where the spirit of Harriet Haskell is encountered most often. One night, a librarian working here alone claimed to feel someone touching her shoulder. When she turned around to see who it was, no one was there. So she returned to her work and felt a hand tap her arm again. This time, after finding no one was there, she locked up and went home. The woman later stated that while she did not believe in ghosts, there was something in the library with her that night. 
A different librarian experienced an incident she believed was linked to Miss Haskell's ghost. One night, she was straightening magazines in a recessed corner nook and looked up to see a woman in a long, old-fashioned dress standing near the main desk. Before she could speak and ask the woman if she needed assistance, the figure gradually faded away. One Halloween night, a student skeptical about ghosts and the supernatural decided to do a broadcast for the campus radio station from the library. He planned to have a speech professor read some of Harriet Haskell's writings to see if it might provoke a response. Well, he set up his equipment, turned down the lights to set the mood, and started the show. The library was very eerie that night, even to those who were non-believers, but nothing happened while the show was on the air. At midnight, the student signed off and began shutting down the transmitter. He said that as soon as he switched it off, he felt a cold hand touch him on the shoulder. Well, he jumped and turned around, but there was no one there. Assuming that one of his buddies was playing a prank on him, he pulled off his headphones and searched the library, certain he'd find one of them sneaking out. But the library was empty. He sat back down and replaced his headphones to listen to some audio played back. He didn't want to admit it, even to himself, but he was slightly rattled. He reversed some of the tape, and as it played, he began to relax until he felt that cold hand on his shoulder again. He tore off his headphones this time and ran out of the library, leaving all his equipment behind. He'd return to get it later, after the sun had come up. Another part of the library's haunting also attributed Miss Haskell is the overwhelming smell of lilac perfume. It was apparently Harriet's signature scent when she was alive, and now it alerts people to her presence when she's, well, not alive. Dozens of people have encountered this smell mysteriously wafting through the library over the years. Many of them have never heard the stories and have no interest in ghosts. Others refuse to even consider the idea of ghosts, like one student who swore to me he didn't believe in them and yet couldn't explain the smell of lilac perfume. He didn't find out until much later that the scent was supposed to mean Harriet was around. When he didn't find out, he wasn't very happy about it. Well, you'll have to decide if Lewis and Clark College is actually haunted. Just don't decide yet. I still want to pass along my favorite ghost story from campus. It probably has nothing to do with Harriet Haskell, but I can't end this episode without telling it. One afternoon in the early 1990s, a member of the college maintenance staff received a call from a security guard. A new elevator had recently been installed in one of the buildings and it had gotten stuck between floors. That was the bad news. The worst news was that a young woman was stuck inside of it. The maintenance worker hurried over to the building. He had all his tools and was determined to get the elevator working as quickly as possible. The young woman inside was becoming very agitated, crying and begging for someone to get her out. Well, he got to work, trying to concentrate as she kept calling out, very upset and asking him to hurry. The electrical panel was open and he worked as fast as he could. Several minutes later, he'd fixed it, and in record time. He told the woman inside the repairs had been made and they'd have her out right away. She was sobbing as she thanked him over and over again. Well, the elevator was brought down to the first floor so the trapped student could be released. The doors opened and they waited for her to step out, but when she didn't appear, they looked inside. The elevator was empty. There was no young woman inside. Even though the car had made no stops between when it was repaired and when it arrived on the first floor, the maintenance man and the security guard who'd made the call had both spoken to a woman who'd been trapped inside, but she wasn't there. To this day, they still swear they spoke to her. But who she was and where she went remains a mystery 
they've never been able to solve. Thanks for returning with us to Alton, Illinois, for a special series of podcasts from American Hauntings. We're taking a trip back in time, sort of, to the first season of the show, which collected some of the most famous stories from one of the most haunted small towns in America. But it turns out we left out a lot of really good ones. So we're back in Alton for more. We've got old stories with updates and new stories that Troy managed to dig up for the new edition of his book, Haunted Alton. So buckle up. And by the way, I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey, how are you? I'm good, man. I good. Um, I, I knew you were going to throw me a curveball, and I, said, <laughs> I, I, I read it. I didn't read it out loud yesterday, but I was like, I'm just going to read it. Yeah, Boom. I've been changing up uh, a lot of the intros and stuff. I, and I think it's nice. I did it. Yeah, I, I did it, and uh, I've been doing it for some of the different um even though our regular podcast thing, I change up at least my part reading mm-hmm. into it. I don't want to keep doing it the same way every time. I think that's a, I think that's a smart yeah. idea, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I think it changing. works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. yeah, man. Well, hey, we're about to yeah. talk about so back in Alton. We're back in Alton. We're going to talk about two badasses today. Um, <laughs> it's the only way I can really say it. And, yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. And they're both, um, you know, very relevant to, you know, the conference and everything too. Yeah. And yeah, we and, thought we would do this one, um, uh, right before the conference. So it's, yeah. you know, just a couple of days this, this coming weekend, uh, will be, uh, the 26th annual haunted America conference. And for the first time we're moving it to Lewis and Clark college. So we thought this would be a nice tie in to the conference. Perfect. So and there were some things that I thought were a lot of fun about this particular story. So I thought we would work it in. And I did some rewriting and adding in some new things. And uh, it's, it's just a fun story. I like this one. So. Yes. Awesome. Uh, okay. Benjamin Godfrey, I was trying to come up with the, the like, do you know, you wouldn't call, do you call him a Renaissance man? What do you call somebody that does all these different things? Oh, man, crazy I don't know. He, yeah. Cause things. he did a little bit of everything. He was yeah. definitely an entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but he was definitely, you know, one of the people who was responsible for Alton, you know, being what it was in the 19th century, you know, such a large community and such a thriving community with all of the different things he did on the surface and then there, of course there were the things that he did that nobody knew about mm-hmm. you know the, the kind of sketchy as it turned well not sketchy in a bad way but sketchy in a good way stuff especially with the underground railroad you know was very important in that and uh i think that you know it, i don't know it just makes him a pretty cool character i think yeah yeah no absolutely and i didn't i mean i knew some about him i guess uh but this yeah. episode definitely taught me a lot more um, and like you said, he kind of has some odd choices with the things he decides to <laughs> do and, yeah. and, and the things that he, um, I guess, spends his time on. Spends well, yeah, it's just money you'd on. never expect, you know, I mean, okay. So, you know, you got a guy who's a, a ship captain educated himself, you know, but then, you know, his, he, his, she gets shipwrecked, ends up in Mexico. And rather than just worry about how he's going to get home, he starts a new business makes all this money, tries to get it home, gets robbed, 
still makes it home and then ends up in Alton. And um, I mean, that in itself is, I think, probably he was pretty young when that happened. So I think that sort of um, gave him a taste for, you know, not taking some risks. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he did it with business. And of course, with, you know, the Underground Railroad stuff that he did and his support for Lovejoy and that kind of stuff. But then, you know, you take this guy who has done all these business things and he's a ship's captain and all this stuff. And he's married. He's got a bunch of kids and he decides to start a school for women (laughs) so odd it's such an odd choice i mean i'm as it turns out we're glad he did of course it is a very odd choice you know for someone to do yeah (laughs) and and is this so monticello female seminary now lewis and clark at community college but it was this was is this a quote from him or was this just the way you described him because i've heard this before but it said if you educate a man you educate an individual but if you educate a woman you educate an entire family well it's it's a I don't know that it's a quote, but it was okay. attributed to his way of thinking. Okay. You know, that this is what he, this is what he believed and that, you know, it, and that would change a lot of things. And so when they started this college, it was not like most other colleges. Now there were other ones like this. I've, I've talked about others, but most women's colleges at the time were just finishing schools, which really was just girls learning how to sew and cook and yeah throw parties you know that's all it was it wasn't you know they didn't come and actually learn anything Uh um so they came to monticello to learn the same things that young boys the same age were learning and you know he thought that that was going to be and i i'm sure that he wasn't thinking i'm going to launch the next you know wave of female industrialists i'm sure he was thinking Oh, well, these girls would be great wives for somebody. I'm sure, you know, that was still the underlying plan. Sure. Uh, But on the other hand, he wanted them to be smart. Yeah. Let's let's give them a little more. Yeah. 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 So I mean, I don't think he was a I mean, he was no more misogynistic than the time period. was. (laughs) But on the other hand, he still had to step up on most men Uh at the time because most men wouldn't even allow their daughters to go to school. And he made it acceptable. Yeah, made it socially acceptable for these girls to come to this school, you know, and actually learn something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think it. I mean, it's really impressive, like you said, robbed of all that gold, but then becomes wealthy all over all again. All over like, again. I'm just yeah. open for. I'm hoping for once, you know, like a, <laughs> let alone twice. Um, and you said his warehouse is where Lovejoy hid that printing press. Yeah. So that that was his. Okay, that's where he died. Yeah, that's where Lovejoy died. Was right outside the. Godfrey Gilman and Company Warehouse. Gotcha, gotcha. And he contributes uh, what would be today, you know, three point six million dollars uh, to Monticello. Fire destroys it in eighteen eighty eight, but the rebuilding starts ASAP. We'll get we'll get into that yeah, later. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, just an all around cool dude. But the, he's not the main focus of this episode. So let's talk about Harriet Haskell, a name that I've heard for my entire <laughs> life. Yeah, um, yeah. I knew little bits and pieces. You know. Um. I remember. You know, Haskell Park is where we go sledding all the time mm-hmm. as kids, and um, a lot of yeah, my those friends. were her that w- those were her family that were in Alton. Yeah. Already right. when she came here. Right, right, you know, right. and you know, mixed in with you know that whole group of people were the Hainers and the Haskells were all intermarried there, and they were the you know social top of the scale for Alton in those days. Man, you know, that's I mean, why you have the Haskell Playhouse, and if you go to the Alton City Cemetery, just to the left of Lovejoy's monument, there at the front of the cemetery, the big monument. Um, is their family plot, which is massive. It is, it's it is huge. huge. It's, everybody's buried there. It is including absolutely. Harriet. 
So it is absolutely huge. Yeah. And uh, oh, man, I just think like to be in that area and that time and all that I don't know exactly how it all worked out, but I can just see it now as far as just like the houses that are in that area around Haskell mm-hmm. Park and stuff and just beautiful architecture and things. And um, yeah, it's I would have I would have worn some really cool suits and gone to some weird masquerade parties and stuff. <laughs> um, but Harriet Haskell arrives as a new principal in 1867. Um, wasn't it- she's only 32. Yeah, that in mind. Yeah, so, so she's, she's younger than I am. Been a principal of a college in Massachusetts. You know, she's attended a couple of different schools. She's now the principal of another college. She's only thirty-two when she comes to Alton to visit family and sees Monticello for the first time and went, mm-hmm. uh, "Yeah, I don't think so." I think it probably coming out of Boston or somewhere. I'm sure it's mm. in, well Alton and Godfrey, which there was no Godfrey really, not at the time. Um, I'm sure it seems super primitive to her. You know, mm-hmm. and backwards, and you know, I don't, I don't know how they talked them into it, her into it. It had to have been the family that did it, uh-huh. because I mean, I know the board voted her in and just gave her the job, <laughs> even though she turned it down. Yeah, but I'm sure it was family members who said, "Hey, listen, you really need, we we really want you here." Mm-hmm. But I mean, because you know, I say she was only 32, right? Mm-hmm. But 32 in 1867. She might as well have been 65, man, yeah. because at 32, she was never getting married. Her days were that, that ship had sailed. So she is a spinster at this mm-hmm. point, at least to her family. And they probably just didn't want her living out on the East Coast by herself anymore. That that would be my guess mm. if I had to guess. So that's I'm sure how they lured her back because she never did marry, even though she did raise some of her nieces. You know, she never married, uh, never had any children and this devoted all of her time to the school and. I mean, as it turns out, the students were lucky that she did Absolutely. because they adored her, you know. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's two ways to look at her age. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, sure. No, yeah. that that's good context. I, I <laughs> yeah. appreciate it. Um, and I do love this just kind of like sums up her being a leader and things like she made sure that when the place is burning down, that the girls are properly dressed while escaping the fire, mostly to give them something yeah, to focus that, on. She didn't care what they were wearing. She was not going to let those girls burn because of they course. didn't have their corsets on. Right. You know, she just but it's a needed good them to focus on something. Yeah, it's a good know? tactic. Yeah, yeah, it was. Otherwise, you're just going to have terrified people running uh-huh, around. Running wildly. Chaos. And that's how somebody dies. And as it turns out, no one did. Yeah. So even and, the firefighters who fell through the roof. <laughs> still survive yeah she had nothing to do with that but still you know yeah they they knew the risks but i'm glad they're okay um but firefighters had saved even her rare books even her piano Mm -hmm. got out of there so um because i mean everybody showed up i mean they they, people lived in the 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 community around the school loved the school mm -hmm. because it made that it made that area important and so when people came running in their pajamas to see what they could do and Guys just started running into the building and grabbing anything they could, making sure the girls were out, grabbing any of their things they could carry, throwing stuff out windows to try to save it. Uh, and after a while, it was just burning. It was too much. But yeah. Harriet's room happened to be right near the door. So even when the do- they got the piano out, but even when the doors were blocked, they started shoving her books out the windows mm-hmm. and sliding them down like a slide, a wooden yeah. slide, so that they could save all her rare books, you know, which I'm sure she appreciated. So I cut Troy, I kind of feel like um I know you've you haven't been here, but I know you've seen some like pictures and things, but I've been, you know, to your places. I feel like if either of our places were on fire, you and I would do the same thing. Like oh, put God, a slide. No kidding. I don't even know what books I would, out. I don't I don't even know what I would do. Um, well, that's true. There's you have no two, way I could get these many. books out of here. Well, so there's just no possible way. Maybe so. I, I think I would definitely 
pick a bookshelf probably. So I have all your books and all the scary books over here. Yeah, I guess those I can are re replaceable I and worthless. Say... So, <laughs> oh. yeah, maybe I'd get some of the older books that I've bought. Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> and go from there. Um, I was actually uh, cleaning my apartment this weekend and I was like, man, you never know, like, um, you never realize how many toys you have as a grown man. So <laughs> you start dusting all your bookshelves. Mm -hmm. and I just got like Marvel heads and Marvel stuff and yeah. studio and I, things. I've got all this up in the in the movie room upstairs yeah. the whole back wall is nothing but old radios and mm -hmm. uh, movie posters and uh those those uh universal monsters that come in the box that looks like the movie poster yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a wall of those and i'm thinking well i'm, I'm glad because our friend luke runs a toy store he and does. so he gets them for me so it's good for luke but i'm thinking god if the firefighters came running in here they'd go what the Thought, you know, so wait, where's, so where's the kids room where's the kids room yeah i'm looking for the children that are <laughs> yeah. here yeah <laughs> you're like uh you know uh, they're, they're already out they're fine yeah um, they're fine yes um but uh just to show like how much people cared about this and how good she was and everything so by 1902 the college is officially out of debt um from the rebuild i'm guessing is that yeah yeah she uh yeah. she got all these people to donate all kinds of money but there was still you know some money that had to be spent to do it so they had to do some bonds and things to rebuild the school because I mean originally when the school burned it was really just one big building mm -hmm. so that's why she was living in there same as the girls were the classes the the classrooms the dormitory rooms everything was all in one big brick building at the time and uh, it wouldn't start spreading out until a little bit later and after they started rebuilding they started building separate spots and then the campus began to grow and they took over that house and then she moved into that house and that became her residence but uh, as the school continued to get bigger they built more buildings but that was a lot of money spent on that rebuilding but she had managed to get so much money donated that mm -hmm. Uh, within you know a short amount of time they were completely out of debt and 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 going you know in the black so yeah. that's awesome yeah yeah and I mean it seems like she loved this place so much that she hasn't really left right from everything right. you said so I've never heard this story about the tree crash oh yeah 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 so what what is what is that about I don't know I don't know that's just I mean you know it's that's, it was that's a the fluke story. thing that happened and I yeah. think that became part of the legend oh yeah harry's hey, unhappy like all it. these boys are here on campus oh, she would not like have it. liked that at all and uh now it's not you know monticello is gone now it's just uh lewis and clark college what right. is that about you know so you know down went the trees so yeah to make her displeasure known i know I, I love it i love it but uh, you know and but like i say though i mean it doesn't matter if you believe in it or not everybody mm -hmm. knows the story it is that that legend is part of it the you know the administration they don't talk about the place being haunted but they even admit go well you know that's part of the legend i mean she is part of it her ghost being here mm -hmm. um is as important to the school as the buildings in the books yeah you know? yeah so, and rightfully so you know yeah um and yeah you get all the typical stories but there's just a lot of them of her being yeah, seen in there mirrors apparitions lights yeah. and, and, and a lot of that stuff in the beginning even the girls admitted after she died, they just would try to scare the new girls yeah, you know, yeah, with yeah. stories. But over time, either either those stories really were true, or at least some of them were. They got started for a reason, like we always say. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they sort of created their own haunting. You yeah. Know, there's a different oh, ways wondering. to look at it. But 
the most important thing is that you know they they believe that it's Harriet's ghost yeah. and that had, she's still at the school. Yeah, did they help like will her back into? Yeah, exactly this my thing, point. You know? Yeah, they yeah. just sort of created it, you know. But yes. I don't know. There's an awful lot of stories. So yeah, especially get to the chapel. Or, yes, and or the library as it is now. But yeah, so the so the library is really haunted, which was the chapel. I even wrote down. Lucky for me because when I was there, <laughs> you was never, never went in the library. I was never in that damn library. <laughs> um, I like this radio broadcast on Halloween night. Do you know who the broadcaster was? Because I had no. a lot of friends there, and I wonder if no, they know that people. was passed on to me. That's from I think that's like in the nineties. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been a while. Okay, I'm, it was. I'm curious. Uh, it had happened when I heard that story, and I heard it probably mm, late '90s, early 2000s, and it it was probably 10 years old at the time, at least. So it's a, it's been around for a while. Gotcha. Um, then talk about the lilac perfume sort of smell. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering. Um, at first, I wrote down. I was like, "What is it about smells? You know, why can we blah blah?" Then I was like, "Wait, but we still see ghosts. We still hear things." I was like, "So smell shouldn't really be." that different yeah. it's just for some reason yeah, it's, sticks it's out a to part me. of their personality it becomes a part of someone's personality it, i it, that's my thought on it mm-hmm. if it's something that they you know did that was recognizable a, a part of their you know part of their people knew them by the smell you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, yeah when they you know are still haunting a place a lot of times smells become very important parts to hauntings you know? sure i mean we'll, I guess... we'll get into that later too when we you know revisit the mineral springs toward the end of the season you know yeah another another one of those stories where smell becomes really important i guess it's no different than like seeing a ghost in a particular outfit you know like that that, okay yeah and and, you know there are a lot of people who think that that's um something where like the the ghosts envision themselves that way you know Mm. the the reason that you see them wearing clothes because why do ghosts need clothes sure is because you're seeing the way that 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 spirit envisions itself and if part of their you know, day-to-day life was the, a certain dress or a mm-hmm. certain style of clothing and a perfume that they adored while they were alive. Why not? You know, yeah. there are other stories too about, you know, the smell of men's cologne or cigar smoke, mm-hmm. or, you know, you get that a lot. And, and every time you get a story like that, I find that in life, that was something that was so integral to that person's personality that other everyone recognized it. Oh, he smoked a certain type of pipe tobacco, and mm-hmm. that's what people smell. You know, so I, I don't know. I it's it's a connection. I think that you know, if you believe in that sort of thing, I think it's a connection that you may make with that spirit. You know, yeah. that's how they see themselves, and that's how you end up seeing what they want you to see. Yeah, I I never thought about the ghost envisioning themselves. Um, I I like that idea. But just to be funny, I also did like the meme that was like, you should always be like your best dress because if you die today, like that's your ghost outfit. <laughs> I know like, for eternity. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what you're wearing. So, yeah, if you go out of the house in a terrible outfit and you die, oh, man, it's going to be your, a long afterlife for you. That's your ghost <laughs> outfit. But uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit. Let's let's wrap up talking a little bit about your favorite ghost story with the elevator. <laughs> I know. I love that. Story. That's got to be so the, the elevator stuck between floors uh, with a woman trapped inside. They're talking. She's talking to two different people and the mechanic guys going, you know, as fast as he can. And then, you know, open the doors and no one's there. there. Yeah. And I'm not, that's not even a Harriet Haskell story. It's just a weird incident that happened at Lewis and Clark, you know, um, and I don't, you know, I don't have an explanation for it. But it's a great story. uh, But I mean, it was told to me firsthand by the maintenance guy. Oh, nice. I swore to me it happened. So. 
I mean, oh, I got no man. reason to not believe him. Yeah, um, no, I, I didn't either because he was very sincere about the story. So, yeah, I don't know. Even if, even if it if it wasn't true, he sure did a good job telling. Sure. Because he gave me goosebumps. Yeah. So it's a it's a freaky story. And unless he just like loves his job, he probably wouldn't be busting ass to get the elevator if nobody was in there. You know, if he no. didn't think I got to right, help this exactly. person right, right now. Right, exactly. Um, well, I know people, I don't know if people might know this, might not, but I have my own little ghost story from oh, Lewis yeah. and Clark. Yeah. Um, it was one day I was walking into, um, oh gosh, I don't even know what it is, but I know the bookstore or like an admin office was kind of to the left. You could go down to it or just go straight into the, to the, um, the building. And I was walking in there and I don't know if I was, if I was depressed, if I had been partaking if i was just normal looking i don't know but i saw this uh, other uh, i thought was a student it was just a young young woman and in normal clothing um and she was just walking by me she said you should smile more and i was it clicked right then i was like oh this is why women get so mad when men tell them they <laughs> yeah, should smile right, more right and i took a couple <laughs> steps and then i turned around and there was just nobody there and it, it was yeah. outside and yeah may, maybe she could have run off but with the area like it's really been fast it yeah she would have had <laughs> yeah, to i know really what you're talking fast. about it had to really be um, fast <laughs> and yeah it, it freaked me out but i didn't really know anything about any of these ghost stories or anything like that i was just like that's fucking weird. That was weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, that's also the first and I think last time anybody ever told me I should smile. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was just a bizarre thing that happened. Um, oh, man. Well, yeah, this is this is good. I mean, I'm glad like I'm I'm glad she, we didn't have a heroic. She died in the fire thing. Oh, or yeah. Anything, no, you know, like that. No. just just no. an awesome woman doing her story best with no ass. bloodshed in it. So, yeah. Right. You know, it's uh, where. Yeah, so I think rare. This, this is probably like the happiest we've been talking about a story for a while <laughs> yeah, because probably. it's just normal <laughs> stuff. And even though there's a tragedy in it, they rebuild and it now turn <laughs> it into something even better. Um, I can't wait to check out the campus again at the conference. Yeah, I'm super stoked. I haven't been there. Um, it's probably been a couple of years since I've really been there. I definitely haven't walked around in a long time. So I'm yeah. excited to see how it goes. And it's going to be the biggest and best one yet. Man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, and we haven't hung out and together in person for a while. So <laughs> no, it's excited. been a while. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, anything else? No, I think we're good, man. So, All right, man. A lot of fun. Awesome. I like doing these. I've gotten good comments from people that are glad we're revisiting these. Oh, so that's sweet. Been nice. Yeah. 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 So. Awesome. Well, um, you know, hey, I will see you um, when this comes out. I'll see you this weekend, and I hope to see everybody yep. else that's listening this weekend as well. Well, this episode of the American Hauntings Podcast was written by Troy Taylor, and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. We hope you've enjoyed this return to the Alton Podcast, and will be with us as we present 10 episodes of the history, hauntings, legends, and lore from one of the most haunted small towns in America, my hometown. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We couldn't and definitely wouldn't do it without you. So until next time, goodbye. So long. See you later. Nice cool. short, short. Yeah, sweet. yeah, well, you know, we didn't.